0: That's not how I do things. I ride <laughs> right on time. I like it. I never keep you waiting. <laughs>
1: Hello and welcome to episode 100 of the Movie Chef podcast, uh, where we make meal up movies. I'm your host, Tebs, with me, my centurion, Cormac.
2: You Hello, told Cormac. me a long time ago that you were going to introduce fireworks and Noises and effects. I'm
1: and working on
2: it. No, We've been working on it. This is this is like fucking. This is like a year ago. You told me you were good at no, this. Okay, this okay. is the perfect opportunity. This would have been the perfect opportunity to set those imaginary fireworks signs off. But do you know what happened? Tell me, Paul. Where's the imaginary fireworks? Let's go, right? Come on, let's go. Where's the imaginary fireworks?
1: I still need to learn how to use the equipment. Fuck me. I <laughs> don't know. It's very complicated.
2: Two and a half years, Paul. Two and a half years. You've had to figure this out. That's all you needed to do. Work the soundboard. That's all you needed to do, and you fucking blew it.
1: I watch YouTube, and it, I can't get it, and it's very complicated, and, it, and I have to turn it off. But fuck you. What's uh, happy one hundred? Do you think would have met, Would we have ever met, met it to one hundred? Do you think?
2: No, I still don't think we've made the one hundred. I like the first, the first, <laughs> first fifth, the
1: first, the first
2: fifty, the first fifty were literally just a, 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 a haze of drunken fury in a garage.
1: Yeah, pretty much. We're all locked down. What have you been up to this week, mate? Not a lot. (laughs) See Hmm. you next week.
2: I drank last (laughs) night, drank this morning, drank this afternoon. (laughs) I'm drunk
1: now. I remember we were doing this twice a week when we first started.
2: That's, uh, oh, listen, what a beautiful time. What a beautiful time when we got to sit for 24 hours a day just watching, (laughs) watching movies. Do you remember, do you remember the original premise of this podcast? You would choose four movies, I would choose four movies, and we would watch eight movies and, and you know every couple of days. Like, what the fuck were we doing?
1: We were watching... The uh, first ever episode was... um, God, I'm, I can't even think back now. 80s? It, well, it was 80s, yeah. Um, we had Ferris Bueller, we had Labyrinth. I think it was just because I wanted to play uh, Dance Magic at the end <laughs> of the episode. <laughs> That's the only reason I wanted to do a podcast, to, to force... Twenty to thirty people each week to listen to my music choices.
2: I remember. I remember the uh, the original conversation we had because I actually found the notes to the original conversation. Now this was like fucking six months before we actually filmed the first podcast, and it was based around um, Hercules in New York. You remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, and we and and I actually sat and watched both versions of Hercules in New
1: York, dubbed and non dubbed. I went and bought it on DVD just for this podcast.
2: Yeah, and then the podcast didn't happen for six months after that. And then it had nothing to do with Hercules in New
3: York.
1: Well, I normally look back at, I'm looking back at the old, the original episodes, the the, the first 10, as nobody calls them. Do you want to, dear listeners, would you like to, uh, would you like to think back to some of the uh, abandoned projects that we had on this podcast? Whatever happened to Joey Kramer? Jesus. So, so each week we were going to, we were going to look up an actor who has uh, been gone from our memory for quite a while, and we started with the kid from Flight of Navigator, and we've never done it since. So maybe we yes. need to bring that back. Whatever happened to?
2: There was the episode Stop that off. I there was the episode that I wasn't in.
1: <laughs> there was one episode, yeah, but uh, those two actually there were two that you weren't in. But to be honest, it was, uh, that was... I'll explain off the air. Um We did um, what did we do? Point Break versus. Break pointless. I can't remember what we called it. But yeah, break pointless. Yeah, and basically, then, point break against the shit one, and we were comparing remakes with the originals. And there was a, that,
2: there was our two-hour loving of Hudson Hawk. I remember
1: that. But that was a, probably my favorite episode. We just again, I wanted to do a movie podcast just to talk about Hudson Hawk. Um, we went down James Cameron's rabbit hole. Yeah, I remember that. It was dark, <laughs> and that was when we that was when the first uh, multiverse of madness was hit released or the. The first uh, trailer to it. There you go. Two years ago. Two, Two years. Seasons. Oh dear. What else have we missed? That one.
2: May fourth. That was a May. F- May fourth. May fourth was the first yeah.
1: episode. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's how I never forget. It was either going to be that. or you. Yeah. Or same, my here.
2: same here. Sim <laughs> here.
1: <laughs> but yeah, we watch a uh, video nasty. We we're gonna do a video nasty every now and then.
2: That's right, Driller Killer. What a we, great movie!
1: We did Driller Killer and uh, and nothing since. But yeah, we're watching like eight films during the week. I, I remember we were doing the Disney one. I'm like, yeah, I'm just sitting down to watch eight Disney films: Robin <laughs> Robin Hood, Beauty and the Beast. Like, and then you think, well, I've got to watch other ones to compare it against them. Do you remember our summer of Saturday Night Live?
2: Oh, was that when I made you watch Pat? Fucking right, it was. That
1: was awful it's a bad movie like so movie. bad those. i don't know what it was
2: but do you know what i do you know what i loved about the Saturday night live one i got to re-watch tommy boy and i got my son to watch tommy boy and he loved it
1: of course he did i watched it for the first time fantastic um we did the halloween party buffet was that Slump? that was slumber party massacre one that was
2: slumber party that massacre great, and man, i have great se- great. i have seen every single slumber party massacre nyla they are fucking phenomenal if you haven't seen slumber party massacre one you have to see slumber party massacre one because it is it's it is beyond brilliant
1: because otherwise you won't have a clue what's going
2: on exactly where are you going to find yourself in slumber Mass- party massacre 5
1: <laughs> you know, we haven't done a quiz in a while
2: oh the quizzes i remember the quizzes
1: so we had the first quiz with the guys from uh, Four nerds by Nerds. We had the one from the VHS Strikes Back podcast. We had Glyn on uh, mm-hmm. for one. Um, was there another one? No,
2: there was there. There was the one where we where we put the
1: link oh. up on Twitter, <laughs> yeah.
0: and
2: and the guy came in and like called us dickheads or something, and they yeah. went away.
1: <laughs> it just played drum and bass music for about yes, five that's seconds, what, that's and what I'm there trying to hang up on him. I'm like. I, I, should have learned how to use this before I started. <laughs> I thought Sears music was a good episode. I think that's where we actually showed a little decorum about discussing film because and I actually learned something from that. going out and reading about autistic people and the life they live in, mm-hmm. uh, what you know how they're trying to get by, the misconceptions of people. I mean that film was fucking dangerous in itself but um, but that was actually quite interesting. I enjoyed yeah. that. Um, then we single-handed the destroyed world peace by doing an Irish episode for you Oh, for your birthday.
2: And we introduced the, the, the phrase Green Tongue.
1: Green Tongue, absolutely. I've heard it a couple of times since every time I mention it. People think I'm being racist. Is no. it racist? It's not. No. It's not. It's Green Tongue. Green
2: Tongue, yeah. Um, How's that racist? We're calling out racism.
1: We're calling, yeah, absolutely. Musicals. I always think, I always oh. just, Okay. Oh. Again, the one thing I wanted since Christmas Of the lockdown was to have you Watching Cats And your Delica b- cats
2: and cats Delica cats Rum tongue tugger Shut up rum tongue
1: tugger
2: Do you know what, of everything right? Of everything that is wrong With Cats the movie, James Corden Wasn't the worst <laughs> oh. <laughs> like, like how bad was that movie Where James was- Corden wasn't the worst thing in that movie
1: I I won't even say it was bottom five. I just kind of ignored him for the three minutes he was on. He
2: wasn't even in bottom ten. No.
1: Like, that's how bad that movie was. Can we revisit it?
2: Oh, I don't know, Paul. I don't know if I can, like, genuinely. It's, do you remember the movie, is it Master of Puppets? Yeah. The horror movie. It kind of It kind of reminds me of that. It was where all the kind of puppets come to life. It's as creepy as that is.
1: It it, for me, it was like when I think it was Rebel Wilson was dancing as a cat, and then she unzips her own skin, peels the skin off, and there's more cat skin wearing a cat dress underneath. And it's like, well, is that your skin? Are you just you all wearing fur coats? Do you all have outfits on underneath your fur coats?
2: I just didn't get it. No, well, they all they all wanted to die.
1: I mean, seeing him, no, yeah, they're all going for a place in heaven. It was X-Factor to get into heaven. It was like that film The Island by McElbeer. Which the which McGregor, Jellicle... And the McGregor one? Yeah, they're all there like just waiting to be called to the island. Uh,
2: but, but they didn't know what was there on the island, though. That's the difference. Do Jellicle cats know what's in Jellicle heaven? With well, they obviously do, because they know how they're going to... end. Jellicle cats, Jellicle
1: cats, read Jellicle... Fuck off. <laughs> I just remember we were chatting about it, and you, you're going through the whole film, and then you're like, OK, there's an hour and a half. Idris Elba's been a bad cat, very bad cat. And then suddenly Scimble Shanks comes in and he starts doing a song and it's like, how many mock animals are you going to introduce, how many cats are going to be introduced to this story? I just,
2: then- like, maybe it's just that I just don't get it. Maybe, like, I, I'm very... I suppose I'm tone deaf when it comes to musicals. There's some musicals that I like, but most musicals, and that's why I've hold, held back on Hamilton. I know I'd hate Hamilton. And if I hate Hamilton, I'll never hear the end from you. So
1: I'm just never going to see it. I don't know how you know you can hit it now.
2: Because, of, Paul, I heard, I heard one of the songs.
1: Which one? Uh, so you don't remember? It was something to do with... Uh, either war or politics, depends which act you were listening to.
2: It was to do with the, the pistols with his, the
1: guy. The, the jewel? Yeah. Yeah, which jewel? Yeah, but that, mm. that, that one looked great. That one looked great.
2: Well, I'm sorry, that's the one I fucking heard and it was terrible. All right, there you go. It is quite I didn't pivotal. choose. I didn't choose that one. It was on the fucking radio. I heard the song and I went, oh, that's fucking shit.
1: Which fucking radio station's playing <laughs> Ten-Jewel Commandments? Yeah, I'm
2: Hamilton, I'm going to shoot... What are you talking about?
1: Um, I'm trying to remember what else we did. Well, we did Dark Desserts. Has that been abandoned yet? Can we call that an abandoned project? No, it's not
2: abandoned. I I I actually quite like them. I yeah. like the I liked the um calling Robert Wagner a murderer.
1: Yeah, yeah, alleged murderer, yeah. Not no, yeah, um, the murderer. The murderer, Robert Wagner. The,
2: the is he alleged. Dead? You can't you can't label the dead. Is he dead?
1: I don't know. Let's check. Hang on. God, I can't believe this week every <laughs> week is the same. Go on IMDB. See if a celebrity's dead So Cormac can libel him this week I've seen the Johnny Depp Amber Heard stuff We're not libeling anybody uh, No, he's still with us
2: Allegedly then
1: He's allegedly still with us He's
2: allegedly murdered he's, ni- he's
1: 91,
2: 92 Says he, Do you know what happened? He took Natalie Wood's life That's what was. He took her life force He
1: absorbed her life force
2: Yeah, that's, that's the only way I can think of it He's taken her life force <sighs>
1: Oh god! And then we've done his interviews, of course, which is going to set us up nicely into tonight. So um, we've uh, obviously had a great interview with Jeffrey Wiseman. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, bags of fun. That Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving, he mm-hmm. gives us what two hours?
2: I, I, I was, and I was atrociously drunk.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I've got to admit, I'd have, I had a few, and I thought. I'm gonna have a couple of settlement herbs.
2: But that's but that's it's the thing. All right. Yeah, Calm but that's on this. but that's the thing. Like, I had two bottles of wine in front of me, and I thought to myself, "Do you know what? He's not gonna give us that much time. Like, it'll be half an hour, forty-five minutes tops." And like, the two bottles were there, and I was. It gave us two hours. I drank fucking two bottles of wine in two hours. Like, I was roached. <laughs>
1: And that's probably why he was on for two hours. He was too polite to say "fuck off, lads." I'm tired. Let's go stop
2: on. asking me questions.
1: And then we finally got Xander Berkeley after uh-huh. three months of stalking. I mean, chasing. I mean, emails back and forwards. Xander Berkeley, December last year. Uh, that's probably that. That's probably up there for me.
2: I still tell people about the uh, he was in the courtroom with Richard Ramirez. The oh night, really? The night stalker. I still say that because I, I, he may have said it somewhere else. He may have said it in another interview, but I've not seen it. And it's the first. It's the first time that I ever heard of it. And I was so interested in it. Um, the fact that he was there, um, drawing, you know, uh, caricatures and pictures of Ramirez during the trial, and the fact that Ramirez kept eye contact with him, like that's yeah. that's creepy. We're we are. We're two eyeballs away from Richard, sorry, one eyeball away from Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker. Like that's, that's, I can't beat that for me. Uh,
1: I tell everybody is the guy that got stabbed in the milk carton in Terminator 2.
2: Well, We it's all love his own. Each to their own.
1: Each to their own, but that was fun. And then we had um, Natalia Baden from Planeta Kino Cinemas in mm-hmm. Kiev. Um It was March 9th. We had that interview. So that was that was like a week and a half after the invasion started. You, your city's been bombed. And she gives us an hour of her time to yeah. chat to me and you. Very humbling. Um heard from her since I think I mentioned it. She's uh yeah, doing all right, obviously, but she'll yeah. be coming back on it, hopefully. She'll uh, she'll come back on and
3: Listen,
2: how... she's invited us to the Ukraine. We told her that we wanted to go. She's invited us. and Oh, are yeah, yeah, we're in her house. She's I'm, keeping in her house.
1: Yeah, me and you on sofas on floor. We'll take yeah. turns each night, but she, she's taking us for a pit up in Kiev. I think that's that'll be like a YouTube video of just me and you drunk everywhere. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> in fact, no. Um. So that leads us nicely on to our episode this week. 100... I wanted a special interview. Sandra Bernhard didn't reply to my DMs. So, thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, because that would have been that, that would have been a doozy. of an you tell us about Rome? Tell us about Daniela. Tell us about Bruce.
2: Tell us about Hudson Hawk.
1: <laughs> tell us about Hudson Hawk again. You were in Roseanne. Forget it. Tell us about Hudson Hawk. Um, but no, we are very, very happy to welcome uh, to the Move Shift Podcast David Hater, writer of X-Men, X-Men 2, X-Men United, um, Watchmen, and also the voice of Snake from Metal Gear Solid, amongst a plethora of other material and work that he's done. Mm -hmm. Voice of King Shark in the Flash TV series.
2: Yeah. I'm trying to think why he wasn't brought in for the Suicide Squad.
1: Because James Gunn friends with Sylvester Stallone. Maybe we'll
2: find out...
1: Well, we're going to find out in a minute, so here is here's our interview, uh, episode 100, thank you everybody, by the way, for being here from the beginning or joining us and listening back to episodes, It's uh, it makes it all worthwhile, doesn't this
2: it? This could be the year 2050, and we could have people listening.
1: Do you really think this planet is going to make it to 2050? Nope. <laughs> here's David Hitter. So a very delighted to say, um, welcome to the Movie Chef podcast, writer of X-Men, X-Men 2 United and Watchmen, the voice of the one true snake from Metal Gear Solid, David Hater. Welcome. Thank you for being here.
0: Well, thank you for having me. <laughs> it's so sexy. It's so sultry. It is. It's very sexy. I, yeah, I don't um, No, I don't really sound like that in my real life. Although the older I get, the more the more sneaky I become. But, so, uh, so you
2: get you could pick it out of a crowd, even if you were talking your normal accent, you could pick it out. Because as soon as you as soon as you start
0: talking, it's like, wow, yeah, there it is. It does happen, you know, now and again. I get people to snap their head around when they hear me speak, which is kind of nice.
2: And how often how often when you're out and about, do people just notice the accent? Or do you slip into it sometimes when you're out and people go, <laughs>
3: Sometimes.
0: <laughs> well, like if I'm uh you know, if I'm buying a video game from a video game store or something like that, I can't help <laughs> myself. And they're like, you know, here you go. And I'm like, thank you. And, you know. <laughs> Do you it give it a it's... wink as well, given that the, you sometimes. know, is there,
2: some, is there some discount for me? Oh, <laughs> <gosh>. <laughs> Why, what That's are
0: you
3: talking
0: right. about? <laughs> That's right. Uh, yes, a little bit. Well, the voice itself is a, is a bit of a wink. So, uh, um, yeah, I don't, I mean, you know, I, I just sort of live my life. And sometimes people know, you know, who I am, yeah. and sometimes people don't care, and that's just life. <laughs> that is it.
1: We said right at the beginning the writer of probably the films that kick started this whole behemoth of superhero. <laughs> um, writer of X Men and X Men 2. I've got yes. a million questions. What, how did you get the gig? How was it? How was it feeling, first of all, that you, you're gonna have this opportunity to write these fantastic films or the opportunity to? launch
0: these franchises well um you know, I'll get an x-men thing in the background there uh that was our x2 opening weekend we made 200 million dollars in the first week um we me, and there. Paul, me
2: and paul were both there oh <laughs> fantastic well thank you we, we went to university together and uh oh, nice. x-men too and we went there on premiere night for x-men Two. yeah
0: oh fantastic well, i appreciate that um you know it was a very strange thing my my story is is entirely unique Um, i was hired to answer the phones on the movie x-men uh but i knew the director and he was concerned about the script and he was like nobody knows anything about x-men and the script's horrible and it's going to ruin my career and blah blah blah. um and i shouldn't say that script wasn't horrible but he was concerned (laughs) um and uh basically i i was like well i know the x-men i i you know i read the comic books when i was a kid i used to pretend i was cyclops and you know uh, i suggested a scene to him and he said good yeah go write that for me and then he put it in the movie and then um basically i i started rewriting the script for a few months uh before the studio found out that the phone answer guy was writing their script and they were forced to make a deal with me. They they paid me thirty five thousand dollars, the guild minimum rewrite fee, uh, and uh, got me into the writers guild, and you know sort of purchased the work I had done. And then uh, Brian, the director, insisted that I come to Canada and work on the film throughout production. And so I did. And I never expected to get credit or for anybody to ever know. That i had done anything, and then through a, a very long uh, series of events, I ended up getting sole screenplay credit on the film, and it came out and uh, opened huge. And then I was the most successful first-time screenwriter in cinema history. But it's interesting as
2: well because again, X Men was that first kind of comic book movie that just took off. It was the first kind of legitimate. Comic book movie, you know, it was the first one that kind of branched out that everybody kind of grabbed a hold of. When you were in the midst of doing the writing for that movie, did you get that feeling? Like, did you get
0: this feeling? Go, this is something special here. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, we weren't the first successful comic book movie. There was Richard Donner's Batman, yeah, or, yeah, uh, Richard yeah. Donner's Superman, and Tim Burton's Batman and whatever. But it was the first one that wasn't Superman or Batman or or you know or the the marquee characters. And so nobody was really sure if it would work or not. It had 11 super powered main characters, which was unheard of at mm-hmm. the time. Now, of course it's every, you know, even hospital shows, have every movie that comes out, you know, <laughs> uh, characters, but yeah. So, so the studio, um, I mean, really nobody thought, you know, everybody was very concerned that it wasn't going to work. And, I, I might have been the only one, maybe Brian as well, who and Hugh, Hugh really threw himself into it. Um, I, I, you know, I loved the X Men so much, and I loved Chris Claremont's um, uh, work, a, a great legendary comic book writer, uh, his work on X Men, and I just sort of wanted to replicate that world for for people. And I thought if we did that properly, people would really um, appreciate it. They, they'd really go for it. Um, but, you know, it's hard. You never know when you're in the middle of it. I mean, I've made good movies. I've made bad movies. And they all feel good while you're, while you're making them. And, <laughs> and, you know, you never know until people see them. So um, So it was, I was hopeful that it would really be a game changer. Um, but, uh, but nobody nobody knew for sure. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was just sort of a big risk on everybody's part. So I
1: knew Hugh came into the production sort of, quite late on one I think you took somebody else from the role. But it, for me, the two standout performances in uh, those films are Patrick Stewart and Eamma McKellen. Were you writing mm. for them? And yeah. knowing that in, for their voice, knowing that these two were cast? Or was it more you were writing Magneto and Professor X and they fit so well to them parts you were writing?
0: Well, initially, uh, we were writing just the, the characters. Um, and then, you know, we always wanted Patrick stuart from the beginning uh but he didn't want to do it he he was like well you know i've already done star trek and i don't need to you know actually that's more ian mckellen but that's not a here nor there um uh and so it took a while and actually brian convinced him he said look patrick i I understand what you're saying about star trek but he said is the greatest thing to say to an actor he said uh harrison ford was han solo until he was Indiana Jones.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and Patrick was like, you know, well, oh, okay, maybe I'll try it. And uh, so he did. And and uh, and then yeah. Uh, so then once we were on set, I was rewriting throughout the entire process. And like, you know, we would tear apart scenes while we were shooting them, and I'd be making up dialogue and saying, you know, to Brian, tell him to say this. And and you know, and it was incredible because. You know, I'd never written a movie before, and suddenly I was writing dialogue for Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart and you know, Halle Berry, and you know, I mean, it was uh, it was a little intimidating because I was, um, you know, I was a theater kid. I started as a, as an actor. I did a lot of Shakespeare um, in in Canada and uh, really trained as a theater actor. So I was just in awe of uh, Sir Patrick and Sir Ian, and and um, yeah, it was very it was very intimidating, but nice thing is when you write dialogue for those gentlemen, you know, it comes out sounding like, yeah, honey And you know, it's, it's pretty great.
2: And I've listened, I've listened to some, some of your interviews, like, and I, am I've, we're always interested in the process of of how a movie is put together and things like that. And sure. I, I enjoy your stories simply because you seem to be one of the only screenwriters who is at the coalface of writing so whilst you're actually writing these scripts you're on the set you're talking to the actors you're coming up with all the nuances or you know I heard the the story of in the bar with Hugh Jackman you know you mm-hmm. were actually you were actually there you know talking about you know cutting the shotgun in half and putting yeah. you know his his claws to his neck there's not many writers that get to do that is there you know you're you, no
0: yeah, no, it's, 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 um, it's very rare. Well, the fact is, is that the studios don't want the writer on set mm-hmm. because it's writers on set. That means things can change every time things change. That costs money. Um, you know, they, they would really prefer that everything be set before you go in, but some directors um, I, uh, I don't want to speak out of turn. I think Jim Cameron is like this. Stanley Kubrick was certainly like this and Brian Singer is like this, like, everything's constantly changing and yeah you know and that scares the hell out of the out of the studio but for a writer it's a dream you know it's like you know it's like the way Hitchcock used to work with his writers that you know they'd just be in it together the whole time and um so no it was yeah it was unheard of and and you know the fact that so yeah I told that story about you know I made up that scene on the, yeah. on the spot of where Wolverine reveals his claws and the big pose and I got up in that place and did that pose myself. Screenwriters don't get to do that. Only somebody who's, you know, knows the director was a former actor, you know, like I mean it's just the confluence of events that came together to allow me to 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 do some of those things was was unheard of and you know, and frankly I've never well, I did, not that I had never done it since. I actually did it on um, uh, Scorpion King. They brought me in I was uh, the last writer to, to do passes on The Scorpion King, and they called me one day and said that uh, they were having trouble figuring out the action of the ending, of the climax. So would I come out for the day and, and talk to the director and talk to The Rock and, you know, work it out? And I was like, yeah. So Universal <laughs> sent, me a, sent me a van and we went out to the desert where they built this big castle. And they said, okay, so here's the situation and, you know, the rock is over here and the bad guy's here and he's got the girl and this and that. And I said, okay, well, it all has to come back to the bow. I was like, where's the bow? That's his big thing, the bow and arrow. And uh, Andy's been shot in in the back. And I said, they said, well, the bow's over there. It was at the party. So it's it's on the floor. And so I said, great. So he lunges for the bow. He comes in, he gets shot in the back. He lunges for the bow um, and he picks it up and but he hasn't got an arrow and he thinks and then he reaches back like this and pulls the arrow out of his back like pulls it back and and hits the and then hits the guy so hard that it blows him off the balcony and you know and he falls and and dies um oh also that it like hits his flaming swords and that catches him on fire and so when he falls he looks like a you know a shooting star or something like that and uh you know i got i pitched that out with uh, chuck russell the director and with the rock and the rock was like oh my god i'm gonna love that and, and and uh and so we did it and so um you know yeah it's very rare um i mean when i get to direct my own things i get i get to do that stuff i get to employ uh, you know my fight training and and knowledge of you know stunts and camera and, and whatnot but as a screenwriter you very rarely get to do that sort of thing and uh, it was it was very fortunate early in my career to be able to help create some of those iconic moments
1: and obviously that you were brought back for x2 it's just an absolute no-brainer then were you get how much guidance were you given from the studio then it felt like did they have trust in you now that you knew the material, you knew the characters to go and tell your own story in a sequel? Or were they very much, we need you to go here, here, and here to do this?
0: I thought, because we the first film was so successful that I was like, okay. And it was so stressful and everybody, everybody second-guessed everything. I was like, well, the second film, you know, now they know what we're doing and so on and so forth. <laughs> you no, <know>, they were... <laughs> <laughs> Now they were spending $125 million and they were, you know, as, as paranoid as ever, still unsure about everything we were doing. Um, they were not, I mean, they brought me back, uh, but uh, it was not, it was not all sunshine and light. It was, um, it was like, okay, we got lucky the first time and, you know, try to do it again. But they didn't really understand again they didn't understand the world of x-men in the way that uh that i did and and by that time that brian brian did and and uh you know we had kevin feige on board who um had started out as a you know um an associate producer on on the first x-men but we recognized that he really knew the comic books really well and Tom DeSanto as well and so we were kind of the brain trust or, well that's we were literally that's what we had little <laughs> pens had little pens that said brain trust and um so no they what uh they kind of let us go I mean like you know Brian and I sat down I said um there's a graphic novel called God Loves Man Kills which is just this amazing x-men story and I think that should be next and um And so, uh, basically I pitched out what, what was in that graphic novel and Brian picked out what he liked, what he didn't like, what he wanted to change. And we worked on it for, I don't know, weeks or months. And, um, and, uh, yeah. And then we gave it to the studio and, you know, the studio had their thoughts, but the, but their thoughts were really based on what they felt makes a big movie, what they felt we needed to revisit in terms of touchstones from the first film. Um, you know, by that point, Halle Berry had won an Oscar in between X-Men one and X-Men two. So they were like, you know, she needs a much stronger character, you know, stuff like that. And, and, um, uh, and it was a, you know, it was, it, w- it was a rough process. It was, you know, I, 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 look, I'll say this to, to people that are are aiming to be professional filmmakers or, screenwriters or whatever when i got onto the set of x-men my first 80 million dollar film and you know it was just such a dream and i thought oh my god this is going to be so much fun it was fun in a way um (laughs) but it's but movie making is not inherently fun per se it's it's brutal it's intense everybody's freaking out about the amount of money that's being spent um they all want you to take it deadly serious and Uh, you know, it wasn't the environment that I thought it would be making a a cool comic book movie. Uh, And X-Men 2 was no exception. I mean, it was it was uh, fraught with uh, with tension. But in the end, you know, we really made a movie that that I'm very proud of. I mean, it's maybe my favorite film that I've ever been involved with and, and, uh, you know, came out beautifully. Um, You know, for example, like Alan Cumming, Who's so brilliant as Nightcrawler? That's
2: that's um, who I that's who I wanted to talk to you a wee bit about.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, Alan. I mean, as far as I understand, I'm hearing this sort of secondhand. I wasn't on the set for X Men too. I I had to go to Australia and film a pilot. Um, but apparently, Alan was like really not happy with the the role with working on the movie. You know how brutal uh, you know Brian was as a director, and and you know just wasn't you know didn't think much of the whole process until he saw the movie and mm-hmm. then he was like oh oh we really did a thing and he's so transcendent in it and uh um so that's that kind of gives you an idea of just how what a what a whirling nightmare it is to be on, a, <laughs> well, that's the, on like, an old fox movie
2: that like the things that i of pick out from in from from x-men uh from x2 was the, the opening sequence you know, mm-hmm. the Nightcrawler and the, the White House. Uh, that, yeah, yeah. Th- there, are, there are bits and pieces of that movie that are just, I would still class them top five Marvel forever. You know, that, oh, well, that, okay. that opening sequence was stunningly shot. It was stunningly yeah. written. Yeah. Everything in that opening sequence. I mean, if you wanted to be grabbed into this world that's it like that is that that mm-hmm. opening sequence and that is just it and then you know the the sequence that you i think we i seen on twitter obviously you, you put up that you wrote that sequence that mm-hmm. that with magneto
0: magneto's, you know, magneto's escape oh, from the plastic prison Yeah,
2: just absolutely perfect and there's so the x2 for me and i think me and paul have spoken about this in the past it is for me it's it is it is top three Marvel of all time. Like oh, it is, it, it's stunning. Um, but there's just some sequences that just stick out. And like genuinely the, the open sequence of, of X2 just had me. And it was like, you just need something to go. Yeah, I'm here. That's, that's yeah. me now. That's, that's me. And that got it.
0: Well, it was, you know, um, so Christopher McQuarrie, who is my friend and possibly the greatest living screenwriter uh, on the planet. Uh, you know, he's directing the Mission Impossible movies right Seen now. That, yeah. he's just, he just, you know, made Top Gun Maverick amazing. Um, so Chris uh, Chris came in and he did a pass on the script before before I came aboard on uh, the first X-Men. And he came up with, among other things, he came up with the Auschwitz opening, mm-hmm. which, you know, was so ballsy and, and brilliant and, you know, just establishes your villain and makes you understand his whole point. I mean, it was just beyond brilliant. Um, and the movie, when we did X Men, you know, it was all set up. It was all like, here, here's what the world is, here's why they're mutants, here's why they're called what they're called. It was a very simple story and very much just introducing the world to, to the X Men. So I had to come up with an opening for X2 that, you know, was at least comparable to the Auschwitz opening in terms of startling people and bringing them into the movie. And I also asked Brian, I was like, do we have to do all that setup again in this movie? He goes, no, nope. we assume everybody has seen the first film and we just hit the ground running. Yeah. And he literally said, we hit the ground running. And I was like, oh, I've got it. And so, so I wrote the sequence where Nightcrawler attacks the, the president, you know, infiltrates the White House, attacks the president. And then one of the producers came to me and said, you can't have him, you know, attack the president. <laughs> you know, this is America and i'm like well i'm canadian i'm canadian fuck you i I don't i don't give a fuck about your president you know it's like we're doing it and uh so um so they got voted down and and we ended up with that sequence so uh so i really appreciate that i that was my attempt to you know keep up with chris mccrory and do something that that would be memorable in the opening of uh, x-men 2
1: were you offered a go on sorry Now i was saying, were you offered a chance a Last Stand doing the Phoenix Saga?
0: No, we, we uh, no, I, uh, no, I got fired. Um, no, did, uh, you, you knew where it was going. Just say, you knew where it was going, so you stepped away. <laughs> no, we knew, well, Brian and I, we, we had X-Men 3, you know, planned out and some really, really amazing stuff. Um, but I got fired and then, uh, and then Brian got fired, uh, because he took, um, uh, the job at Warner brothers directing Superman. And right, so yeah. like an hour later, Fox security showed up at his office and said, everybody's got to leave. Uh, they kicked everybody off the lot. And then they forgot that he was directing the house pilot on the Fox lot and they had to let them in. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, so no, we, we, you know, we, we did have, a really amazing X-Men three planned, um, but the problem was Brian. Really, it was you know Brian uh, wanted to do uh, another movie in between X-Men two and X-Men three. We've been directing X-Men movies for six years, and and Fox didn't wasn't going to allow that. They just wanted to hit a target date, and so um, so everybody got fired, and uh, and they rushed it into production. And you know it's not. Uh, it was uh yeah it was unfortunate <laughs> um <Don't> be diplomatic <laughs> well i don't want to buy i i don't want to blame the filmmakers or, or the cast or anybody because it really was a matter of they just said it needs to be done by this date and they didn't have you know they had a whole new group of people and they didn't have a script that was ready yet and and so so it was really just a matter of of sort of corporate overstep i think yeah. that, that that happened there and, and i really don't um you don't want to diss anybody. No. no.
1: But you've you've, no. you've received high praise uh, from another comic book, God, um, mm-hmm. when you wrote uh, Alan Moore, the adaptation of Alan Moore's Watchmen. Uh, the mm-hmm. first draft he said was, uh, according to Wikipedia, might be wrong. I'm not taking that as true, but for this podcast, it is 100% true. David Hayter's screenplay was as close as I could imagine as anybody getting to a film version of Watchmen. I'm not going to say the rest of it, so but that bit is really good. That's no, the rest really... of it
0: is. Uh, that said, I shan't be seeing the movie. Yeah, <laughs> um, because he doesn't. He doesn't care for Hollywood films. No, that was the. Yeah, that was like the coolest thing that ever happened in my life. And um, you know, Alan, somebody gave me his phone number while I was working on the on the script, and I, uh, I called him up. And, I said, "Look, my name's David Hayter. I'm I'm adapting your masterpiece for uh, for Universal at the time, and um, I just wanted to say, I look. I know you're not, you know, into Hollywood adapting your work, but I want you to know how important this book is to me and how um, how true to the book I want the movie to be. And I wanted to give you the opportunity to, you know, if you want to participate creatively in any way, shape, or form, you know, to let me know." And he was so kind and he's like, Oh no, David, you know, I, I um, you know, the book was my story and the, the movie's your story. And, and if you've got any questions, you let me know. And, um, uh, Alan is the only Northern accent I can do.
2: Uh, Not bad. Not bad. <laughs> I, think, I think it's pretty damn decent. All right, <laughs> it's,
0: it's all right. I just, that's, he's just, you know, he's just got such a imposing voice, you know, and, um, and, uh, and he was super cool and he, you know, and I would call him every now and again, and I'd ask him questions about things I didn't understand in the book and, and he'd lay them out for me. And so I sent him the script and he had no obligation to say that to, I think it was empire magazine. Um, but it was such, uh, it was, I think it was hugely important for the fans to, to hear that, you know, he believed in, in what I was doing as a, as a, as a writer anyways. And, and. The respect that i had for the material so uh so that was very very special and i don't begrudge him the second half of the sentence i i think <laughs> i think when they're making the movie of your work and whether you like it or not you you have the right to you know say if you approve or not you know like what I obviously I love Watchmen. Uh,
2: the graphic novel was yeah, timeless. E, even even like the the new Rorschach comics that have come out as well. You know there is there is oh, uh, I read those, yeah. they're they're fantastic. Uh, I, yeah. I really really highly recommend them. Like obviously I don't think Alan probably has much to do with them, but um, yeah. but a lot of his is in it. But I think one of the things that I can say about that Watchmen movie, it was it was beautiful. Uh, mm-hmm. the and the script to it as a fan of the graphic novel it didn't annoy me at all that there oh, were Chris. there were there were miniature changes with within it um yep. and you know structural changes you know even with the you know um night owl and you know his his relationship with laurie you know that the movie kind of constructed very very well and i think sometimes they constructed a wee bit actually better than what the book did because you didn't really find I, I, <laughs> it uh, you didn't find out you did, obviously you didn't find out to the graphic novel about the, the love kind of a lot of the love story between them and that was kind of put towards more of a coherent story for me in the, in the movie which i thought was actually brilliant um i think that the squids you know, everyone, so a few of the people like I know would complain about the squid, you know, that wasn't in the movie. And I'm like, well, right, okay. But the squids were never really in the comic book either, or it wasn't in the graphic novel there because you never actually seen it. You never actually seen all that stuff. You just seen, you know, what the, the destruction
0: that had happened, obviously, in New York. Yeah, you see the aftermath. and Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that was, um, well, thank you for saying. I, I appreciate that. I, I Yeah. Well, the, the squid had a number of issues. Um, and I love it I, in the comic book, and the visuals of it are amazing. The execution of it is, is amazing. Um, the reasons that we changed it uh, well, first of all, I signed, I literally signed my first contract to watch, uh, to write Watchmen on September 10th, 2001. Oof. Yeah. So the next day, um, essentially the ending of Watchmen happened in, in yeah. New York. And I was like, well, first I figured the movie was dead, we'd never get to make it. But we kept going and I was like, I can't show, uh, you know, a bloody massacre in the middle of New York. You know, yeah. I just didn't think that was appropriate. Um, so that started our thinking in another way. I felt like people, my solution was that, um, was that uh, the, in, the, in the book, <clears throat> there's these Hiroshima silhouettes that, that are being graffitied around, <clears throat> excuse me, around the city mm-hmm. and, um, you know, shadows of people as if they've been sort of vaporized up against the wall, like they are in, in, in the Hiroshima, uh, Memorial. And, um, and so I thought, especially with Dr. Manhattan being sort of an avatar of nuclear power and all that stuff, wouldn't it be cooler if, um, that's what happened to people that they were sort of vaporized and you yeah. saw the the shadows of them and that that sort of fell out of the final version of the thing but that also led to um to dr manhattan you know spoilers being the crux of the matter as opposed to the the giant squid oh and then the other thing was because like the movies already three hours long i can't set up this island full of secret artists and geneticists and so on and and then this teleportation of this creature you know it was just an element that was so um it was just a whole big thing on its own deserved its own sort of story and movie and we just didn't have the time for it and so it was it was a it was actually a physicist friend of Darren Aronofsky's Darren was attached to direct for literally a weekend um and I flew to New York and I talked to him and then Paramount told me he couldn't do the movie because he was he had to finish the fountain, um, and they wanted it quicker. you know, It was a whole big political shuffle. But Darren wrote me and said, "Look, my buddy is a physicist, and he came up with what I think is a really good idea, and he um, suggested that Doctor Manhattan be the 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 um, the MacGuffin in the end." And, and yeah, uh, and I w- and I just thought that was so brilliant because it's already woven in. I don't have to, you know, we've been setting up Doctor Manhattan throughout the entire movie, um, and it just fit better and it that's the one you know my goal for Watchmen was take every badass moment bit of dialogue visual that you can everything Mm -hmm. that you can keep keep um and so that was the thing and and really the only uh big transgression against that was was the ending um, but those are the reasons why it, it's uh yeah
2: i th- i think the scene the Roshak's scene at the end w- was was fantastic because in the even in the graphic novel as has how beautiful that it was was drawn you know with dave gibbons and and, and Al Moore how beautiful it all yeah. is that Roshak's death in the comics comes in like maybe three uh tiles uh, but the one at the, in the movie it it lasts and it gives you that wee bit more of a of a feeling you know of pain and anguish that he has in it and i thought it was again i don't want to say it better than the book but it was that that's that that you know look
0: you can do things differently in a in a yeah in a movie and you can and the one thing that you really have the advantage of is human emotion and dave gibbons i mean Uh, you know the image of Rorschach you know saying do it and the tears rolling down his face. I mean that's burned into my 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 mind oh it has been since it was created um you know but in a movie you have flesh and blood actors who are suffering and, and you feel it and and so you you uh you know you have certain advantages um there but uh it's very kind of you to say i mean i i really feel like the impact of of both is is pretty equal as far as i'm concerned it's you know my only desire was that we catch and cat you know that we express that moment as you say of rorschach's pain anguish his inability to back down Mm -hmm. you know he can't he knows he knows he has to die. He knows yeah. he's going to die. He One knows track that mind. Yeah. he shouldn't, you know, that he, that, that the only justice is that he gets through and, and tells the truth, but it's not going to happen. And he has finally worked himself into a corner where he will not survive. And he, and he realizes that. And, and so that was the, um that was what we were hoping to capture. And I think, I think Zach uh, and, and Jackie O'Haley did that. Yeah. beautifully spectacularly <clears throat> and Patrick Wilson's so good you know just you know falling apart at the at the. oh yeah uh, yeah he can't do anything you know you know Night Owl's character you know to, to, to your point about the love sequence and or, you know the love story and all of that you know Night Owl is the only real human in the story I mean like <clears throat> none of them really have powers except for Dr. Manhattan but they're all sort of comic book avatars, you know, mm-hmm. the comedian, uh, Adrian, you know, they all have these crazy outsized egos and grandiose views of who they are and, and the world and whatnot. And Dan is just a guy. And the fact that he's impotent is reflective yeah. <laughs> of all of us, woeful humans who can't affect change in the world and just have to watch in, in pain and horror as, as, these powerful people do these horrible things and and so that moment was really uh huge for me very very important for me
1: how important was maintaining the structure because I, I i've sent out a tweet and i'm, I'm almost embarrassed to say it. i really didn't like watchmen when i first saw it i was confused okay. by it i didn't understand it oh no no I, I, but
0: i do have you, you read the book or, or not? no
1: no no i'd read people basically said it's going to be i'd read that it was going to be very difficult to be adapted to screen and that was almost shitting on it before it even came out so i kind of maybe went in with a misconception that it was going to be this mess but every time i've watched it and i feel compelled to keep going back i've just loved it more and more and it's and it's the world building and it's the structure around it and you can't tell it in that normal linear form where you you start with the old the old crew and move forward you've got to go back in time you've got to be showing the flashbacks you've got to show these alternate how important was that when you were sat with the script getting ready to write this story
0: well that was hugely important I I, you know um, they would at the various we were at four different studios um, before we were. it was four studios total over a course of nine years developing that movie and you know they would always get to a point the point of the story is that it's or the point of Watchmen is it's not a fun superhero romp it's a dark twisted utterly brilliant analysis of power and darkness and and psychosis and and ego and uh, I, I and rape and like I mean you know and so yeah, ch- child murder <laughs> yeah. yeah oh yeah Child. I mean it's like it's not, it, Watchmen is like it's like a Kubrick film you know Kubrick doesn't care if you enjoy it the first time through yeah. you're probably not going to enjoy <laughs> it the first time through all he cares about is making a brilliant story and you can go back 14 times until you get it or you can not he doesn't care and, and Watchmen is similar to that so it's amazing we got it made at all but like every studio would get to a point where they wanted to do it, but they'd be like, look, can you cut out uh, the blue guy? Or can you make it just a uh, Dan and Rorschach buddy movie or, or whatever? And I was, like, I was like, no, Watchmen is not about a team of superheroes. Watchmen is that story. And that story is told in a clockwork fashion. You know, it's a bunch of different gears and cogs that you think are unrelated and you pull out and you pull out and you realize, everything is affecting everything else that's what makes it brilliant it's built like a watch and um, and so it was important to me not to lose that i mean that's part of the brilliance of 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 what it is but i knew that you know again not not to compare watchmen to kubrick i mean kubrick's arguably the greatest director of all time but what i'm saying is is that I don't know that I, apart from The Shining, I've never watched a Kubrick movie the first time and gone, oh, that was fun, you know, (laughs) because they're not fun. (laughs) But I've I've watched all of them since and gone, oh my God, what a, I I get it. I, you know, I finally get what he's saying to us and how he's saying it to us. And it's the same thing with Alan Moore's crazy, insane um, brilliance, you know? So I knew that people, there'd be a lot of people like yourself who'd watch and go, What fuck was that you know and why why did we go through all of that but if you but if you take the time to unpack it and you realize just you know elements like uh dr manhattan so dr manhattan is a guy who thinks he's becoming god uh this is perfect because elon Musk just tweeted a picture of dr manhattan you know jesus christ (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. And, and oh my god people are like people are just tearing them to pieces they're like oh yeah dr manhattan showed his dick to people at work as well <laughs> um, <Brilliant.
2: laughs> um
0: so yeah that was my favorite um but dr manhattan is a guy who has the powers of a god who thinks he's becoming god and they you know they ask him you know who do you you know do you prefer the russians or the americans he's like you might as well ask me if i prefer red ants to black ants you know
3: yeah
0: he but the point of him is that he's not a god he's a man with this fragile ego who you know and it all it was all tied up in the moment where he says um where his wife finds out that he's cheating on her with a 17 year old and she says you know just wait until she starts to you know her her breasts start to sag and her face starts to get lined and you're still goddamn 30 and his response in his mind is it's true, she's aging more noticeably every day. Mm-hmm. He's just this dick, you know, he's just yeah. a, he's just or or he's just a guy who's been given the power of a god, and and it illustrates how dangerous that is because he he's the protector of the entire world. He's keeping nuclear Armageddon at bay, but then his girlfriend leaves him and he's like, Okay, everybody can go to hell, you know, and he goes off and pouts on Mars. And yeah, and, go sits on Mars. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's I've never, ever seen a character like that, I, I, you know, and then Rorschach, you know, this, this, this guy who is so, you know, when I was a kid, I, I wanted to be Batman. I was like, I was going to, that's why I started studying karate. That's why I learned how to fight or whatever. What I forgot was, you know, you have to be very, very rich. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I always believed in that Batman style, a sense of justice, not, not law justice. If it's right, then you, then you do it. But Rorschach takes that to an extreme that makes him a fascist, essentially. You know, he's just like, no, right and wrong are black and white. And if you're, you know, (laughs) you know, if you're slightly annoying, you get pulled, pushed down an uh, an elevator shaft. (laughs) And, you know, um, and that I've never seen anything like that either. So it was, you know, and then you've got and then you got poor human Dan just watching it all spin out of his control because he's a human being and there's nothing he can do. And so, yeah, so all of that uh, is to say that, that the clockwork nature of introducing all of those characters, then realizing their interconnectedness, then realizing that that interconnectedness is going to come down to one scene where they all come into conflict with each other is perfect storytelling as far as I'm concerned. And I did not want that to be uh, lost. Um, but I did know that we'd lose some folks like yourself on first viewing, you know, no doubt. Nah, I, it, you, got viewing, <laughs> you got me on home viewing, Sorry, say again, Paul.
1: You got me on home viewing, so you're all right, worry, you are all don't want
0: to hear. Good. Well, I and I, I only make residuals on on home viewing. So uh,
2: <laughs> you didn't, you didn't, by I any chance, that.
0: watch HBO's Watchmen? I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. Uh, I thought, yeah, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was incredibly. Um, you know, I would never have wanted to. Well, that's not true. I did kind of want to expand the Watchmen universe, but I was very nervous to do so because the the book is so brilliant. And I thought it was really gutsy. The series really felt like the Watchmen world and just did some amazing Mm -hmm. things that 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 episode where um, Regina uh, King is reliving her grandfather's memories in black and white was just astounding and so, yeah. that, anyway, I think sorry, that,
2: no, no, it wasn't even. I just wanted to find out if you if maybe even if they'd you know picked your brain a wee bit about the TV show because you know it, it is it's a strange dichotomy because obviously the reason why I watch the X-Men TV show or sorry, the Watchmen TV show is because I love the Watchmen movie and mm-hmm. you know, it's very, I know that the artwork of Watchmen is all similar, you know, it all is, you know, the Gibbons artwork and stuff. So I'm just drawn immediately to anything that is that, that artistic uh, viewing of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think they Doctor Manhattan obviously is a lot different to the Doctor Manhattan that's in that's in the um in the movie. Uh, mm. The scene, the scene with Doctor Manhattan where he's sitting, you know, reliving life backwards and forwards with the girl mm. at the at, at the table in the movie. Uh, yeah, or, yeah, no, in the, in the in the yeah in the TV, the show. TV show. Yeah, oh, okay. when they're sitting at the table, they're sitting at the table and he's talking to her, you know, in half an hour, you know, this is going to happen, and you know, you're going to ask me this question, and, and it, it goes on for about forty five minutes, and it's a really really interesting scene, and. I always just thought to myself what did they have any input into the the movie that, or did they ask you
0: anything to do with the tv show no uh, they did not um no? if they had made it one year earlier they'd have been contractually obligated to bring me aboard um, okay <laughs> sadly sadly that that was not the case but um you know i saw the first time i saw the movie was uh, a screening at warner brothers and it was just like eight of us and it was me and zach and Uh, And Damon Lindelhoff was there and we, we met, you know, Zach said, Oh, David, this is uh, Damon. And, and I said, are you Damon Lindelhoff? And he's like, yeah, are you David Hayter? And I was like, yeah. And, um, (laughs) you know, and that was, and that was pretty cool. But I think, um, I think Damon, you know, obviously was a massive Watchmen fan and wanted to take it on on his own. And he had a vision for it that was uh, far beyond what I, had imagined for the world and and uh uh, and it was pretty cool what they did so i wasn't uh i was only bitter about it in that i would have loved to have participated yeah (laughs) uh, but i think also damon probably wanted to do things that were different for the movie and you know take it in his own directions and and that's perfectly understandable as well
1: so you've uh i think it's public knowledge you're quite uh, a fan of the black widow character from Marvel. a fan of black widow you've written a Sure, uh, screenplay yeah. I think it's other things quite close to your heart but that's been, been done now um, is there a, a Marvel character or a DC character you, you'd want to tackle what would be your dream project over the next
0: couple of well, years well uh, you know I mean well Daredevil was, was my favorite and I really I actually begged um, the people that control the rights to let me do a show before they made the, the Netflix show and then they made the Netflix show and I thought they did a really good job and they adapted the things that I wanted adapted, you know, which is the Frank Miller run on Daredevil. Uh, so that was a dream, uh, Sandman I really wanted to do. And I had talked to, um, Neil Gaiman and Johnny Depp about being, um, about being dream. And, uh, that was something I really wanted to do. Um, so obviously those are two that already got made. Uh, and I can't really talk about the ones that I, still dream about or, or you know could happen because if i mention them they it becomes a whole <laughs> no that's fine a whole thing but um but those were two that i uh, you know i love so much i you know i love sandman i just think it's so brilliant and uh that's just a world i wanted to uh, to live in so uh, hopefully that show will be great I'm
1: sure. i sometimes forget that when me and him have conversations saying which comic book would you Would you love to write? We can talk about it with you. You could actually be writing these comic book films and there's contracts <laughs> in the studio. So and I yeah.
0: <laughs> well, and if I say it, then other writers are like, "Oh yeah, that." And then, or or other executives go, "Oh, yeah, we." It kicks things into motion that that are unpleasant and make things difficult for me. You know, I don't, I don't know if you saw the whole kerfuffle, but I I said something about the new Daredevil series getting picked up um, mm. at a Comic Con because i thought i had read that but I, I guess i was mistaken and then it went around the world and I, like david hater confirms the daredevil series is coming i'm like no, <laughs> no I'm i don't know, i don't know
2: anything <laughs> does, know? That not, does that not piss you off that you have to just sit and watch every single word that comes out of your mouth
0: yeah yeah it's it's
2: like yeah, you can't you I, can't profess your love for anything you can't you can't say it you know david hater said this is oh no <laughs>
0: yeah it's frustrating well and and you know and snake is a big part of that because i you know i have a lot more i have nearly two hundred thousand twitter followers i mean i have a lot more quote-unquote fame than most screenwriters and yeah because i just like to talk off the cuff like we're doing you know talk about movies talk about this and that but yeah i have to be so careful about anything that hasn't come out anything i'm speculating about it, it just gets twisted into uh into craziness and you know a lot of that is just fan love and pe- people like me and and want to hear what i have to say and that's lovely but but it is um it's weird you know it's like um it's like when you listen to barack obama and you know he talks like this and then uh it's this and it's uh, <laughs> that because he has to calculate every word he's going to say in advance to because it'll ripple out across the world. Obviously, I don't have that kind of impact. But, but a lot of times, you'll hear me sort of taking my time to phrase things in a way that won't yeah. make people go crazy on the internet. So, um, yeah, that's a, little, that's a little frustrating. But, I mean, look, you know, I get, to be, I get to be a semi-famous artist who lives telling stories. So who am I to complain?
1: And you've announced recently you're going to be at another Comic Con coming up where... Uh... Um, forgive me, I didn't have that. I I got, I've
0: got a few. I'm doing, um, let's see, I'm doing, uh, I'm going to be in Pasadena at the AVOX uh, thing uh, July 2nd and 3rd. I'm going to be in Hartford, Connecticut in July. I'm going to be uh, at the Edmonton Fan Expo, Toronto Fan Expo, and I'm going to Chicago in, in uh, July as well, I think.
1: Did so... you not tell me you're in the UK in December, is it?
0: Oh, I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm doing, uh, going to. Going back to Manchester is my third appearance in Manchester. I think they they get so drunk in Manchester they forget that I've been there.
1: <laughs> I'm about I'm about thirty miles down road. I'll be there. I'm where, well, take, take
0: over. A, take an Uber. Don't you know? Don't drive.
1: We're taking um, we're taking you out around Manchester.
0: Oh, uh, fantastic! I love it. Um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So I'm coming back to Manchester. Look, anytime they invite me to the, I love the UK. Um, I thought my, what I might do is, you know, you go to Manchester and. Um, and then I might head up to Scotland, uh, which I've never been to, and and uh, or or because it's December, maybe I'll go down to Italy or some someplace warmer. I don't know. But,
2: uh, <laughs> uh, come on, come on over to Belfast to be grand.
0: Oh, I'd love to go to Belfast. I've never been to Belfast. Been to Dublin.
2: He'll put uh, you up. Yeah. i'll stick. Listen, I've got a blow up mattress. I can stick you down <laughs> in the the living room, no problem. that's all I need.
0: <laughs> so what? Blow uh, up mattress, some some harp, beer, and
2: yeah i'm glad Mark. i'm glad you know harp
0: that's weird ah, yeah well done of course black and yeah. tan oh well done
1: yeah so what yeah. projects have you got coming up you can actually tell us about them what do we need to keep an eye out for
0: well uh, i made an announcement that um i'm, I'm adapting uh, american mcgee's alice games um mm-hmm. uh into a tv show which we're taking out shortly i'm very excited about that i think that'll be uh something very cool um can't really talk. i sold a movie to amazon uh that's going to be super cool and we've been negotiating the deal for <laughs> a year and a half and i've been waiting and waiting to announce that but that one should be announced pretty soon and, and that one's super cool and okay. um I have an animated show set up with crunchyroll that uh again we've been waiting for forever to get a, a japanese animation uh, studio involved on that um but uh got lots of lots of fun things going on uh, Warrior Nun Yeah um, we're going to
2: get we're going to get a second season of Warrior Nun yeah
0: Yeah well we shot it so um so awesome. I was lucky enough to go I lived in Madrid for 6 months last year and we shot um shot Warrior Nun and I got to live in this beautiful apartment downtown Madrid eat at all these incredible restaurants we'd shoot at you know castles monasteries crypts uh, you know and it's so crazy. Like the first season, very happy with it was really fun. This season, we were like, we are blowing the doors off, and uh, and we did, and and we we made it so much bigger and crazy. I mean, it's just insane. So I'm very very excited for people to see that it's in post right now. Um, so we're probably looking. You know, I, this isn't this is just speculation, but I, I I would imagine late late summer we'll see season two. Um, I think Netflix is gonna show the first clips of it on, I think it's June 6th. I think they're doing a a special Netflix day. And um, so you get your first glimpses of season two, which is gonna be something else. So I'm really hoping, that we go get to go back to Spain for, for season three. And uh, cause that was really just an incredible experience. I love the cast and the crew and everybody. It's the writers. It's, it's a well, great experience.
2: I'm three episodes in and I'm, and I'm, oh, yeah. I'm, lo- I'm loving it so far. So <laughs> oh good.
0: well, for episode four, uh, I mean, I, you know, I had a hand in all of them, but episode four was really, you know, one that was given to me. And I think you'll see, especially towards the end, you'll see some, a pretty remarkable stuff that uh that i was able to get in there so fantastic
1: fantastic well where can everybody find you on social media just before you leave us tell us where Uh, well really
0: i'm mostly i mean i'm on twitter uh at david b hater um and that's where i do the the bulk of my social media Uh, i'm on instagram at the david hater uh but I I don't really post too much. I don't really understand Instagram. (laughs) That's
2: that's kind of like us
0: on Instagram as well, yeah.
2: (laughs) Well, I'm just like,
0: uh, what what, what do you want? Pictures of my food, you know? Yeah, I see. I
2: don't get, I don't get that. I don't get why people take pictures of food or pictures of their dog seven thousand times a
0: day. It's like, okay, there's one. I don't mind the dog ones. The dog (laughs) ones are kind of fun. Um, But uh, but yeah, so Twitter's Twitter's best place to find me. And um, uh, yeah, come hang out. It's a fun. It's a fun time.
1: I was in the cinema the other day there were four Millennials young people with hopes and dreams just bastards they were, oh, in, yeah. the' real, taking a selfie in the cinema in a dark room it's like what you're all sat there watching why do you need to tell oh,
2: Paul me. you're just joyless all right you're just, you're just you're just a joyless sod that's that's, that's 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 what it is <laughs> yeah, but when,
1: well like- I, can, I
0: I I can beat that I, I was I was watching um, uh, one of the Wolverine movies and there was a guy uh, I guess he was a millennial. He was probably in his 30s, and he, he was with his two-year-old son who had pooped himself, and he was going to change his diaper there in the <laughs> theater. God. And I was like, "And and yeah, you asked about using the snake voice. I was like, you are not going to change that diaper in here.' <laughs> you know. And so he he scooted out. But
3: uh, I would I'd, use I'd rather,
0: that. all in all. I'd rather them them take selfies.
1: I would use that voice for everything. I know, right? Just ordering a coffee on a morning, double cappuccino.
0: <laughs> double double cap. <laughs> Extra froth. What the hell? Um, yes, that's Wonderful. Quite, that's quite
1: David like. Hater, thank you very much for joining us.
0: You're thank you so much.
1: Voice over God, you. genius cool. writer. Thank you for thank you for being here.
0: Well, thank you, gentlemen. I it really, you know, it's so nice to, to, to be able to talk about the movies and uh, specifically and, and such great conversation and insightful questions. And I, uh, I look forward to meeting you both in, in Manchester and Belfast and wherever we can I grab will ourselves start, a pint.
2: I will start blowing the air mattress up now.
1: We're holding you. you to it. We're going to rock <laughs> up at Comic-Con. There's going to just, we're going to ask you to sign a picture of us and go, you don't remember us, do you know? <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, and then we should hop in a van and go to Belfast. Oh, Sounds
1: good. God, right, it's happening. David Head, nice. thank you. I love it. Well, there is our interview with one hundred, our one hundredth uh, episode interview with the phenomenal David Hayter. what a nice guy!
2: What a it's Jesus Christ! I, I think we have got we have got really really lucky in the people that we're talking to. One hundred percent. And you know, ah. Uh, wonderful to talk to talk to somebody about some of your favorite movies what they what they have written
1: (laughs) people don't just watch a film for the actor for the for the director even you know don't just watch it for the special effects that's that's what i love about writing that's that's the start of it that's how people mold something together and then give that final piece to a director and go go make this Mm -hmm. And and I find it fascinating. But yeah, such insightful.
2: And you know Uh, what? You can tell a celebrity that you don't like his movie. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Jesus, Paul.
1: (laughs) I'm being honest. I didn't like it at first, but it's grown on me. Well, that's uh, our 100th episode done. Find us us on Twitter, at Port Movie Chef, Facebook, whatever. Um, Go on Spotify. Please give us a, a review. Maybe a present for our 100th episode. Uh, that'd be nice. giving us or an
2: apple. Give us an apple. Give us a five star review. An apple review. review. Apple.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do what you want. Do it if you want. Yeah, uh, do it. Gonna...
2: Whatever. Fuck yeah. it. Do it. Yeah, yeah, dare you. I fucking dare you.
1: Um, We don't know what we've got coming up because quite frankly, we didn't expect this to happen. So <laughs> <laughs> episode 101 <laughs> is going to be... Uh, what about in... the boats? <laughs> what about the boats? The boats was last week. Do you not remember what we discussed? <laughs> the... Shit. <laughs> <laughs> um... I'm going to go watch Watchmen again
2: I'm going to go watch the rest of the European Cup
1: final <laughs> thank you everybody see ya uh...
3: come gather around people wherever you roam and admit that the waters around you have grown and accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone if your time is worth saving, then you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone, Or oh, the times they are a-changing. I'm writers and critics who prophesize with your pen.